Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Indians 7, the Baltimore Orioles 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And while everybody was out panicking about Shane Bieber going on the IL, while local radio is in a tizzy over... uh, Shane Bieber's injury. Actually, to be honest with you, local radio is talking about Brown's minicamp, so uh, they couldn't care less about the Indians right now. I'm here to talk some Indians baseball with you. I'm here to give you some daily updates on the games and the details, so let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines, and uh, we're also, at the end of the show, going to talk a little bit more about the sticky situation in Major League Baseball because the rules came down and the uh, pitcher's had a response. The the collective pitchers of Major League Baseball had a response. So let's get into the storylines of the game. And man, the first storyline, I I forgot to mention this the other day, but the Orioles came in here on a 15-game road losing streak. And after taking the first two games, the Indians taking the first two games, they're now up to a 17-game road losing streak. So uh, not to put any pressure on these last two games, but wouldn't it be nice to not be the team that ruins that, that ends that losing streak? So let's see if we can keep it going for the sweep and send Baltimore out of here with their road losing streak intact. Uh, and we did a great job of it yesterday. Like I said, everyone's panicking about Shane Bieber being on the IL. So what happens? Well, Mejia, JC Mejia, and Cal Quantrill last night actually give you some decent performances from young pitchers. They were both kind of on a pitch count. They were both, uh, you know, held to short starts. Quantrill last night goes four innings, three hits, only one earned run, no walks, and four strikeouts. That's not a bad day from Cal Quantrill. That's that's pretty darn good. And uh, this is going to be our first storyline here, another young starter stepping up, you know, answering the call. It's a strange call. Francona's keeping their pitch count down because he might have to use them on short rest. So they're actually working. They're functioning like long openers, right? Mejia, yesterday, the same thing. I think he went four innings too. So uh, what was Quantrill throwing last night? He was really, really relying on his sinker last night. Threw a sinker 28 times. Threw the fastball change slider and curve, but didn't throw any of them uh, over 10 times. 9, 8, 8, and 7, respectively, on those four pitches. But he threw the sinker 28 times. Now, was the sinker particularly effective for him? No, not really. I mean, he 14 swings. There were only two whiffs. Uh, six foul balls, six balls put in play. He did get five called strikes on it. The CSW on the sinker is only 25%. So wasn't dominant with it. Um, his best pitch as far as CSW goes was actually his four-seam fastball. And he was only 28% CSW on the day. So not a huge swing and miss kind of day. Not a huge strikeout day for Quantrill. Um, I mean, like I said, he did have four strikeouts in four innings, though. It's respectable. Um, but the exit velocity, the max exit velocity off him was 98.7 off his sinker. Uh the average exit velocity off his sinker was 78.6, which is pretty darn good, which means he was inducing weak contact. I mean, six foul balls, six balls put in play, and the average was 78.6. That's some weak contact. So 
That is big from Cal Quantrill. Uh, if he can keep doing that, uh, that is really, really important. Now, where was he locating those pitches? Because just like the speed of the pitches and just like you know the swing and miss factor, the location plays a huge part in this, and that's why we always jump over to the illustrator. And I do like that he was kind of working the... Um, he was working all over, but he was definitely working the sinker on the left edge of the plate. Remember, we're in the catcher's view here on the Illustrator tab on Baseball Savant. And he's working the left edge of the plate with that sinker, pounding the left edge, throwing it in uh, on the righties and away from the lefties. He wasn't necessarily pounding the bottom of the strike zone with it. He was moving it up and down. He uses it, I mean, just like a fastball. And it just got that little tail to it, that little break to it at the end. Actually, we can go and look and see what the movement was on that pitch. And let's see here. Quantrill, um, the vertical break averaged about 15. I'm guessing this is in inches. And uh, the horizontal break averages 14. As, a, as opposed to the forcing fastball, which has a vertical break average of 13 Right, and that's mostly gravity at that point, and uh, it only has a horizontal break of nine, though. So there's the big difference. It's that little cut to the side from the sinker to the four seam fastball, but he's throwing them both at 95 miles per hour. So again, as a hitter, you could see why that sinker induces weak contact. It looks like that fastball coming in and just has a little more break to it which causes you to not barrel it up, you know, which causes it to be more of a glancing shot or maybe for you to foul it off. So, yeah, so uh, it was a pretty good outing from Cal Quantrill. Now, one of the storylines and one of the uh, matchups that I thought was really interesting was his second time through the top of the order. He actually goes one, two, three in the first inning. Right, He gets uh, Cedric Mullins to fly out, Trey Mancini to ground out, and Anthony Santander to pop out. All right, that's good. That's really good. Now, one of the keys for a starting pitcher is the next time they see you. What are you going to do the next time those guys come up to bat? And uh, how are you going to limit the damage? Well, that inning actually starts with the number nine hitter getting on via throwing error from Ahmed Rosario. So Ahmed Rosario puts him in a bad situation. It should have been an easy ground out. And Ahmed Rosario just yanks the throw to first base. Bobby Bradley actually goes up and gets it and uh, saves it from going all the way into maybe the dugout or into the stands. And uh, Austin wins is on to start the inning. Okay, so now he's got a runner on and their best hitters up. So what does he do against Cedric Mullins? Starts him out away. This We know Mullins is a good hitter. We know he handles the inside pitch. So he starts him away with a sinker, ball one. Misses pretty far away. Throws another one down in the zone. It is inside. Mullins lays off of it, strike one. So he's at a one and one count now. Throw him two sinkers. Throws him a curveball, which he doesn't go to very often. Misses outside with it, ball. Then throws a changeup down. It's middle of the plate, but it is away. It's not into Mullins, and that's the place you want to stay away from Mullins. Gets him to fly out to Josh Naylor in right field. It was a pretty hard hit ball. 94 mile per hour exit velocity. He got under it a little bit. 38 degree launch angle, 356. It only had an expecting batting average of 0.40. But I mean, the there's no way of measuring how close 
Mullins came to actually squaring this one up. But I remember Josh Naylor drifting back on this one. So in another on another day in another ballpark, uh, that could have been a drive from Mullins. But he gets under it a little bit. So changing the speed on him was effective there, right? Maybe he was thinking sinker on that one, and it was a little bit slower was the changeup. It's a 10-mile-per-hour difference, and he gets Mullins to fly out. All right, now he's got to deal with Trey Mancini. Uh, Mancini, he comes curveball, curveball, drops one in the dirt for ball one, drops one high in the zone for strike one, uh, and then he's attacking hard. So he throws him a sinker, a ball in the dirt, and then gets him to swing at an inside sinker. He really was, wasn't was in the strike zone in this at-bat and got Mancini to be too aggressive and grounds into a force out. This was a good play by Jose Ramirez, who was able to get it across his body to Ernie Clement, and they get wins out at second. All right, so he's working his way out of this, and then Santander comes up, and he gets into a big at-bat with Santander. Starts him with a curveball that just misses for ball one. Throws him a sinker down the middle that he fouls off. He got really lucky on that one because that one is right down the heart of the plate. Uh, His third pitch was a four-seam fastball that was at the top of the zone that he fouls off. That is a good combination. A sinker down around the thighs and a four-seam fastball up at the letters. That is a good combo. And then he throws him another sinker that he misses in with just uh, misses down and in with. The fifth sink, the fifth pitch is another sinker he misses with. Now it works it to a full count. This one was really close. This one I'm surprised Santander took. And then finally throws him a changeup down and away. So he just pounded him inside with fastball, sinker, sinker on the inside against Santander. Then throws him a changeup away on a full count down and away, which seems like a good plan. But Santander's actually able to rope it into right field for a single, and Mancini goes all the way to third. Now, that is just some good hitting from Santander. Um, I mean, it's the perfect setup, right? Pound the inside, pound the inside, 95-mile-per-hour stuff. The last four pitches were at 94-95, and then drop that changeup away on a full count. That usually is strike three. Instead, Santander lines it into right field. Okay, now Quantrill is in some trouble. He's got runners at the corner. He has a one nothing lead thanks to Bobby Bradley in the first inning. And now he's really in it. Is this going to be the inning where he falls apart? Nope. Instead, he attacks DJ Stewart, throws him a changeup on the first pitch that he fouls off, goes forcing fastball high for ball one, throws him a sinker, a hard sinker down and away uh, that he fouls off for strike two, and then throws him a forcing fastball a little bit further away that he swings through for strike three and Quantrill gets out of it. So, as opposed to before, when the top of the order really did damage against Quantrill, right? His last start in Baltimore, they destroyed him. This time, the top of the order comes up. They put something together. They put together a threat, and he is able to get out of it. That, I thought, was huge. I thought that was, once he got over that hurdle of facing the top of the order one more time, and he was able to get through that, I knew that he was in for a good start. It wasn't a long start but it was a good start. All right, now we have talked a ton about Cal Quantrill. Let's get into this offense because the other huge storyline from this game, as far as I'm concerned, is normally we talk all the time, pundits talk all the time, how Jose Ramirez goes, this offense will go, right? When Jose Ramirez is delivering, this offense can score runs. If Jose Ramirez isn't hitting, this offense is doomed. Well, 
Last night, Jose Ramirez went 0 for 5, no hard hit balls, right? In five at-bats, no hard hit balls from Jose Ramirez. That is rare. And the rest of the offense around him picked him up. Everybody, except for Austin Hedges in the nine hole, everybody found a way to contribute yesterday. Guys were on base multiple times. Uh, Hernandez was on base three times, a hit and two walks. He scores two runs. Ahmed Rosario goes three for five. Uh, he has an RBI and a run scored. Eddie Rosario behind him has a hit, a double, two RBIs for Eddie Rosario. Three hard hit balls for him. Bobby Bradley goes two for four. He has a single, a run scored, a home run, and two RBIs for him. He also had three hard hit balls. I realize I read that one in pretty strange order, but uh, for some reason, baseball savant loves hiding the RBIs uh, all the way on the right side of the box score. Josh Naylor comes through with a big hit. He had a double and scored a run. Ernie Clement comes through. He's the one that drove in Josh Naylor, although he's not credited for an RBI. His first hit really is what sparked this whole thing. So Bobby Bradley is able to come through with two outs and have really good approach with two strikes in that first inning and uh, line a single in the right center field to bring in Cesar Hernandez to score the first run. In that fourth inning, Josh Naylor starts things with a double, and then Ernie Clement is actually able to get his first major league hit. Um, it does not count as an RBI because Josh Naylor rounds third hard, gets held up by the coach, by right the, by the third base coach, but the throw goes all the way to the backstop. So he turns back to third base and then turns back to home and scores. So it doesn't count as an RBI. Ernie Clement moves all the way up to third. And uh, then Bradley Zimmer is able to drive him in by singling through the right side. They pulled the infield in. Zimmer hit a pretty good, a pretty good line drive uh, through the gap on the right side there. Let's see what the exit velocity was. Oh, I take that back. The exit velocity was 62.6. So, no, not a good line drive. But sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And uh, it was a broken bat shot. So maybe the bat breaking had a little bit to do with it. But 62.6 mile per hour exit velocity is enough to beat the infield pulled in. And uh, it brings in Ernie Clement to score his first run of his career. So Clement doesn't get his first RBI, but he does get his first run scored and his first hit in his career. He had two hard hit balls yesterday. And then Zimmer, like I said, that hit drives in, a, he scored a run, drives in an RBI. So Zimmer has himself a good day. Um, when would Zimmer eventually come around to score? Uh, on Ahmed Rosario single, Bradley Zimmer would come around to score and he was flying around the bases. I mean, Zimmer we have got to find ways to get him on base. He actually was on base yes, twice yesterday. He had a hit and a walk yesterday, an RBI and a run scored. Getting that guy on base is huge because he can fly. Him and Ahmed Rosario are lightning on the base pass. They're aggressive. And uh, and then Ahmed Rosario later in this inning on Eddie Rosario's double, uh, Cesar Hernandez would come in to score. Ahmed Rosario would come in and score all the way from first with an incredible slide. An absolutely incredible slide where the catcher for uh, for Baltimore, Austin Wins, for some reason he was trying to apply the tag almost behind the plate. He was reaching back behind the plate to get Ahmed Rosario. He's got to get that tag out in front of the plate. He's got to try to reach in front of the plate to make that tag. And uh, it looked like Ahmed Rosario was going to be out, but he slides wide and gets his hand underneath the catcher's mitt and taps home plate before the tag can be applied by Austin Wins. It was a really incredible 
piece of base running from Ahmed Rosario to score all the way from first on that one. So yeah, everybody's delivering. That was a huge five-run inning for the ending for the Indians that would eventually end after that Eddie Rosario double double Bobby Bradley would fly out to end the threat. But and if I remember, he flew out deep, deep to left field that uh, DJ Stewart pulled it down right in front of the wall. But Bobby Bradley would get his revenge because in the seventh inning, Bobby Bradley would get a uh, a pitch that was pretty much right down the middle. Let's see where the location was on this Bobby Bradley home run. That's right. It was our old friend, Adam Plutko, former Cleveland Indian, the guy who many of you were like, oh, we need him back. No, we don't. No, we don't. For some reason, he attacks Bobby Bradley with all hard stuff. He throws him one cutter. He throws him four fastballs in this at bat. He misses with two away, puts him in a hitter's count, throws a cutter that just uh, should not have. Eh, it's on the outside edge. He gets a call to strike, throws him another forcing fastball that, again, probably should not have been called to strike. Everything is away. Hard and away, hard and away, hard and away. The fifth pitch of this at bat is right down the pipe and in. In and down the pipe, and it's right at belly level, and Bobby Bradley absolutely makes him pay. 110.3 mile per hour exit velocity, 40 degree launch angle, 406 foot home run. Only an expected batting average of 610. Are you kidding me? I mean, maybe if this is Detroit, it's a double off the wall, but... That's a home. That should be an expected betting average way higher than that. His third home run of the season, and he demolished this baseball. It was actually the hardest hit ball of the game yesterday, and uh, the crowd was pumped. The crowd was so pumped to watch a Bobby Bradley home run. This is why the guy should have been here from day one. I understand all the arguments for giving Jake Bowers one more shot. We all knew coming out of spring training that Bobby Bradley won that competition, and look what it did for the fan base. As soon as Bobby Bradley hits that home run, the crowd erupts at Progressive Field. This is a game that's kind of a blowout, right? It was 6-2 at that point. It's the seventh inning. You know Karinczak and Klasse. Yeah, he used Karinczak and Klasse. We'll get to that in a second. But Bobby Bradley absolutely electrified the crowd at Progressive Field, and that is... That's awesome. I mean, that's how you make a star. That is how you make a star player, right? I mean, we used to go crazy when Tommy and Ramirez and Bell would hit those big home runs, right? We'd go crazy when Travis Hafner and Victor Martinez would hit those big home runs, Grady Sizemore. Um, And we went crazy for Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez and Santana and Carnacion. And now it's Bobby Bradley's turn. And the crowd is 100% behind him. So, uh, he is having fun out there. I know he said in the post-game interview that he's just having fun out there. So, um, yeah, it is awesome to see from Bobby Bradley. All right. Uh, last thing from this game is the bullpen. The bullpen actually does a great job. I mean, they have a big lead, so he goes with Blake Parker to start. Does give up a run. Does give up a run in that fifth inning, but hangs in there and is able to get out of the inning. Two strikeouts in the inning and two hits. Um, Phil Maiden comes in, and even though he gives up two hits, strikes out three, so he has a solid inning. I know Maiden's ERA is 6.2, but I'm telling you, the, the kid is working out there. He's working really hard in every situation that Terry Francona to think, can think to put him in. So, yeah, there are days where he comes in after a starter, he's get gets blown up in the first inning and can't really calm things down, and his ERA balloons. But there's days like this where he strikes out the side and gets out of 
the uh, sixth inning. Wakering comes in and pitches the seventh, a walk and a strikeout. Karinchek comes in and pitches the eighth, three strikes out, strikes out the side in the eighth. Now, this is where everybody on Indians Twitter kind of got a bug up the rear end because it's the eighth inning of a blowout, of a seven to two blowout. And uh, he's using Karinchek and Klasse. And you're thinking, you, why aren't you saving those guys? Why are you wasting innings from those guys? Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, you've got some other pitchers on this roster that probably could have pitched those innings, right? Let's see, who else is active these days? Uh, I mean, you still have Henches out there. He could have probably given you two innings uh, at the end there. Uh, you had Kyle Nelson, who you just called up. Uh, Sandlin had pitched the day before. Shaw had pitched the day before. Trevor Steffen probably could have gone out there and give you two innings at the end of that game. But he went with Karinchek and Klasse. Not only are you using them here in a blowout, but they also pitched yesterday. So that's two days in a row for those guys. So will they be available tonight if it's a tight game? I don't know. I don't know if he'd pitch them three days in a row. So, uh, yeah, so interesting use of the bullpen. But the bullpen was dominant and shut down the game. So that is good to see. MVP for the day? Ooh, this is a tough one. I, there's almost too many contenders on offense. I got to give it to Cal Quantrill. A, a solid opening start, right? I mean, it's only four innings, 60 pitches. They're keeping their pitch count down, slowly moving these starters along. But after getting blown up by Baltimore last time and really coming off of the Shane Bieber news, the fact that him and Mejia went out there and gave you competent starts, right? We know these guys know how to pitch. They've been pitching for a long time. Even though you haven't seen it here in Cleveland, they've been pitching their way all the way up through the minors and preparing for this moment. And yes, it's been ridiculous sometimes, right? Yes, the walks have been ridiculous. The first inning rallies have been ridiculous from the opposing teams. But Quantrill, Mejia, they can give you quality innings. They can be quality starters. And they can bridge the gap until Bieber and uh, Plesak come back. Bieber talked a little more yesterday, and it did not sound good. It sounded like he was really worried about his shoulder, but does think that he can continue. To, he's going to continue to work out and keep himself in shape and do everything else except use that shoulder and let it calm down and see what happens. So um, there is hope on the horizon if Quantrill and Mejia and uh, the rest of these young starters, we got Savali, going on Wednesday, and then Thursday, I'm guessing, is going to be Eli Morgan, who just got recalled, um, or Sam Henches. I don't know. We'll see. And then Friday, we might be back to Mejia again. So, um, yeah, that's really, really big from Quantrill. So he gets MVP for the day. All right, the last thing we got to talk about is all of these Major League pitchers came out yesterday. Now, the rule came down that... Um, you know, there's going to be a 10-game suspension uh, if you are caught using a sticky substance, anything, even sunscreen and rosin. Uh, if it's a night game, if it's an indoor game and you have sunscreen on, you are going to be in trouble. So it's going to be a 10-game suspension. Nobody has been suspended yet. I think this is still not going to start for another week or so. Um, the big news from this is that not only are you going to be suspended, but the team cannot replace you on the roster. That So not only are you down a pitcher, right? Not only are you down, you're down a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher, but now you can't replace Now you're playing with 25-man rosters against 26-man rosters. That's a huge tax on the bullpen. And uh, you, 
you're in a, putting that pitcher now in a situation where it's like you might not just be affecting you, but you're affecting your whole team. And that is something that you really have to consider. Can you eat a 10-game suspension? Maybe. But what are you doing to your teammates? What is that going to create in the locker room if you're taxing your bullpen that much more because now you're down a starter and they, maybe they have to do an opener day and a bullpen day? So yeah, so uh, that is a really interesting part of the rule and the pitchers were pissed yesterday. They were all pissed. Um, everybody was making statements. They, they, to be honest, they sounded like a kid whose mom took their Nintendo away. That's exactly what they sounded like. We took their favorite toy away. Um, I get some of the arguments, right? Some of the rips, Bauer, um, Glass now, uh, Rodon from Chicago, all ripped them. And one of the big complaints was, why are you doing this in the middle of the season? Like, this rule should be enacted in November. Then we have time to adjust our pitch grips. Uh, Glass now actually blames this rule for causing his UCL injury, which he's going to try to rehab. He's going to try not to do Tommy John surgery, but he blames this rule because he said he had to squeeze the baseball harder than he's ever had to hold it. He said to hold it deeper in his hand. He had to change his grip on both his fastball and his curveball just to be able to hang on to the ball, whereas before he was able to hold it at towards the edges of his fingers. He was able to have a more relaxed grip and just throw it. I am 100% behind the fact that you should not be cheating. In any sport you do, in any athletic endeavor you do, almost in anything you do in life, you should not be cheating. There's no point to it. The point is to challenge yourself. The point, the game is supposed to be hard. You're supposed to be challenged to be able to get hitters out, right? It shouldn't be easy. The spider tack, some of these other things, makes it easy. And that's not the point of the game. So I'm 100% behind not cheating. However, however, I understand changing this in the middle of the season. I understand that's a dumb thing to do. I understand the fact that the batters use batting gloves. They use pine tar. They get that bat sticky as hell so that they can hang on to it and have a good grip on it. Why can't the pitchers? I would be okay if Major League Baseball said, here is a product that you can use to get a little bit of grip or change the baseball, right? Raise the seams. I was calling it laces and strings. I don't know. I had football in the mind the other day. Uh, the seams in baseball. Raise the seams. They lowered them a few years, you know, years ago, years upon years ago. Raise the seams and give the pitchers a better grip on the ball. Change, you know, do something with the leather. Rub a different mud on it, you know, a different concoction of mud to improve the grip on the baseball. Or have an approved product. Say this is the official approved product, just like you put the rosin bag out there. The rosin bag is an approved product. Every pitcher is allowed to use it to dry his hand off. Well, if you want to give a pitcher a little bit of tack, a little bit of feeling in their hand, come up with an approved product. This whole thing about player safety and, oh, so many more guys are going to get hit by pitch. They were talking about it on MLB Network Radio the other day. Tons of guys are already getting hit by pitches. It's already skyrocketing. We just saw Austin Hedges get hit in the head. Look what happened to the guy for the New York Mets who got took one off the face. It's happening. It's, it's growing. Hit by pitches are growing, and these guys are using more tacky stuff than ever. So I completely disagree. I think that is a bull argument. Um, it's exactly the kind of thing a kid would say in a temper tantrum. Like, oh, if you take away my Nintendo, I can't play with my friends. You don't want me playing with my friends anymore, right? It's the kind of 
asinine argument a little kid would make in a temper tantrum. Like, oh, I'm going to, we're all these guys are going to hit by pitches now. You're making this game unsafe. No, 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 no. You are already making this game unsafe. You were already plunking plenty of batters at the plate. Okay. All this is doing is making it harder for you to spin the ball and making it harder for you to get strikeouts. That's what it's doing. So don't bring me that complaint. Now, the last complaint from Rodon. He said, you're giving us a 10-game suspension for cheating, but you gave the Astros no suspension at all, and they were cheating like crazy against the pitchers. I get that argument. I completely get that from Rodon. I think it was ridiculous to give them such a plea deal. Like, tell us the truth and we'll give you immunity, right? That is ridiculous. You would never see that anywhere in life except in Major League Baseball where the owners and the commissioner especially is so weak to the players. We all knew the Astros were cheating. He didn't need their signed confessions to, you know, to convict them in that case. There was plenty of evidence out there. But, uh, you know, he went ridiculously easy on the Astros, and now he's going hard on the pitchers. And that is some bull. So I get that from Rodon. All right, so we'll see how this develops, how this continues to change. I don't think anyone on the Indians last night had a significant drop. Let's check. Karen Check is a guy who everybody's identified as putting sticky stuff on the ball. You see him go to the glove. Let's see what the spin rate was. I wasn't as down on the curveball as you would expect. Um, It was actually right in line. His average was slightly below, but like his max spin on the ball was higher than his yearly average had been. It was down on the fastball. The average spin on the fastball was down about 154 RPMs from his yearly average. So, that's a guy where the numbers are down. Uh, nobody else had a significant... Uh, Blake Parker did. I, we haven't seen enough of Blake Parker uh, to make a judgment on that. Anyone on the Orioles last night have a significant drop in spin? No. So uh, maybe it's affecting Karinchek a little bit. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how this continues going forward. It is definitely a developing story. All right. That's all my thoughts. We've got... An actual starting pitcher on the mound. You know what? A bona fide starting pitcher on the mound tomorrow. Savali is going against Aiken for the Orioles. We got to keep that Orioles road losing streak going. Come on, boys. Keep it going. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. We'll be back tomorrow to talk Savali. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.